Okay, y'all, this is the end of Genesis. Last sermon in Genesis. Can you believe it? We're done. Tower of Babel. Uh, so what are we going to do next? Well, in January, we're going to um, do a brief series on vision, kind of what the DNA of the church is. If you were to cut us open, what would bleed out? What would be the defining uh, characteristics of us? What are we about? If you were Cortez and you landed on the new land and you set fire to your ships and you said no reserve, no regret, no retreat, what would we say is no reserve, no regret, no retreat? What would that be? Well, that's what we're going to look at. Uh, it's very interesting that Christianity can get real simple when you do that and incredibly powerful all at the same time. Uh, the second thing we're going to do is what do you think we ought to do in the spring or just in February? Do you know what it is? How about the book of Revelation? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all you chart people, I got you in my crosshairs, man. Yeah, we're ready. We're going to do that. So we're going to look at the book of Revelation because Genesis and Revelation are very similar, aren't they? The bookends of the Bible. Do you know that the Bible begins with a tree and ends with a tree? And so it's really a story about the life between two trees. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, but today, we're going to wrap up the Tower of Babel, Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11. Here's how we're going to get started. There's a Chicago newspaper that featured a story entitled, The Irony of Being a Human. It reported the sad story of a woman in a room on the eighth floor of a downtown hotel who took her own life. Uh, her suicide note put all the pieces together of the tragedy and the shatteredness of her life. She left her husband and her kids for another man, and that man just left her. So she lost her husband, she lost her kids, and she lost her new lover. And so her, su her suicide note read, don't cry for me. I'm not even human anymore. Now in that same hotel, on that same day, members of a New Age movement had gathered in a convention center just below the eighth floor. And there was a celebrity there that was working the crowd up really, really well, and he got them chanting, I am God. I am God. I am God. The article concluded, the irony of being human is that people in the same place can have such contradictory views of themselves. You know what Babel means in Hebrew? Confusion. Chaos. Everyone. Everywhere. On this planet. Is confused in the core of their being. And this text. Is for them. It's for you. Are you confused in the core of your being if we had one of those honest moments? I'll tell you I am and I have been. And I tell you I go through seasons of it. Today some people call it midlife crisis. They call it all kinds of things. But you and I know that there are moments in your life where who you are seems to shatter. And you don't really know who you are. And you don't really know what it's all about. And you thought it was, I didn't get a buzz when I got the doctorate. 
Nothing happened. They handed it to me. I was looking for that good, what's the, oh, yeah. In fact, the guy that was walking me out, he said, man, when I got mine, it was a sacred moment. And I was like, mine wasn't a sacred moment. In fact, when I was walking out, I did the dab for my son, for my seven-year-old son. That wasn't a sacred moment. I don't feel any different. I'm still the same old messed up person that I've always been. In fact, I would say, if I was truly honest, I was looking around saying, I'm probably the least likely person in this whole room to be getting this right now. Who are we? Welcome to Babel. Welcome to a word that knows you. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. This morning we read from God's word, Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plant, plain, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them. He dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, we ask that you would command, that you would call forth, that you would create life where there is darkness and death. You would create light where we struggle in the darkness. You would create you would create a sense of meaning and truth where there's chaos and confusion. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are that word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, here's what's happening. The flood's over. And there is a massive movement of survivors moving east. In fact, Genesis 10 highlights how they're being fruitful and multiplying. The planet is being repopulated. The new world is being fruitful multiplying. And it's all been done through three sons and their wives, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. I want you to picture a massive movement of survivors moving east because that's exactly what the original readers would have seen and that's what they would have heard because they understood. They were a massive movement of survivors of Egypt moving east towards the promised land. 
But verse 1 tells us there's something unique about this massive movement of survivors moving east that is different for them than has ever been in the history of the world. It's never been like it is in verse 1. I want you to look at it. Now, the whole earth had one language in the same words. Literally, one lip, one words, same words if you're ESV. Now, this must have been incredibly nice. Can you imagine the world like this at that time? Can you imagine no cross-cultural confusion? It's hard enough communicating with your wife and you speak the same language. Can you imagine a world with one language, clarity of understanding, no cross-cultural confusion whatsoever, no race confusion, no geopolitical confusion, uh, no ideological confusion? When I was a missionary in Kazakhstan, our team had two very important sayings that we would speak to each other in the hour of need. Like perhaps when your hot water ran out in the middle of your shower, in the middle of a Russian winter, and it just was done for the day, or maybe the week. Or perhaps when you went to uh, wait in the bread line, and there really wasn't a bread line, it was bread chaos. Uh, you had to be trained in MMA just to get to the front of the line. Although this time did help you in your, your profusion of, of the Russian language. I learned to say no incredibly well. Nit! 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 What? Nobody goes in the line. Everybody takes a beeline. It is just this one massive deal and people cutting in front of you. I'll never forget, even when I was getting a plane ticket, this, these massive people just started moving. I'm, I'm like the third person there and they came moving in on us. And I got the team holding the back of my shirt, six of us all in a row, trying to get our tickets. And these people come pushing in, tons of them pushing in. And they look at me like, this is just the most human, normal thing you do in the world. It's those kind of moments or when you eventually get to the head of the bread line and you make it into the store and the babushka says to you, uh, bread not working today. I guess it was just the bread was done and you were done and you didn't get your daily bread for the day. It's in those moments that these precious words would come to us, these sayings that we would whisper into each other's ears. We'd say, it's enough to make a missionary cuss. Stuff like that, we would say, isn't it? And we'd also say stuff like this. It's not, it's not, remember, it's not wrong. It's just different as our cross-cultural teacher tried to train us, which we really didn't believe, right? But none of this is going on in the world at this time. There's no cultural confusion whatsoever. There's no race. There's no international there's no foreign policy confusion. In other words, there's no confusion coming at these folks. All the confusion in the world at this time is coming out of these folks. I want you to look at verse 4. And they said to each other, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower where it's top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. The survivors of the flood are internally confused. Do you see that? Let us make a name for themselves. A name in the ancient world is equivalent in our day of talking about self-image and talking about your identity. In other words, let us, they're saying, let us make a solid self. Let us generate an intact identity. Let us be somebody. 
Let us get significance and security in the core of our being. Let us do this thing. I want you to look at what the opposite of that is in verse 4. The opposite of a solid self, the opposite of an intact identity is what? A dispersed one. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You know what the picture of this is? The picture is you are breaking down piece by piece and being scattered across the face of the earth. It's like someone could walk up to you and the pieces are already there and they go, and you go, it is personal scattering. It is personal insignificance and insecurity. It is personal diminishment to the point that you are a nothing, a no one, a nobody. You're back to Genesis 1-1, a world without form and a world that was void and a world that was meaningless. It is this deep, deep feeling that you get in your gut that you have no value, no worth. You don't know who you are. It's so radically, it's such a radically insecure place to be. In fact, Luther described this sense of personal dispersion this way in his own life. He said, at such a time, it seems God is so terribly angry and with him the whole of creation at you. He goes on to say, at such a time, there's no flight, there's no comfort within or without. You can't go anywhere. In fact, he says, all things accuse. Metaxas, who's Luther's latest biographer, said Luther was so committed to building an identity through his religious performance, religious achievement, being a good Christian, he said that he once continued confessing his sins for six consecutive hours to his confessor, probing every nook and cranny and every conceivable sin and then every nook and cranny within each nook and cranny until Stalpitz, his confessor, must have been cross-eyed and was perspiring from the effort of listening to it, end quote. He goes on to say, fixated on himself, Luther. He was simply determined to keep digging till he got to the bottom of himself. Do you see the picture? He keeps digging into himself, trying to find out who he is, trying to find something that when his shovel goes into his heart, it hits something solid. And he could say, ah, this is who I am. But he kept digging and digging and digging and he didn't realize, which his biographer said was, there was no bottom. Because all the way down to a human being is sin. You never get to the bottom of yourself. Survivors of the flood, though, that are moving east on the plain of Shinar were not building identity around religious achievement. I think it's safe to say. But they were building one around irreligious achievement. Do you see that? Perhaps stuff like power and control. They wanted to make this powerful city. They wanted to have this tall tower, a ziggurat that would reach to the heavens and would make them a somebody Give them significance. Give them the lasting, longing security that they crave. Give them this solid self that says, I'm okay. I can now enter the world. 
So they're looking at technological achievement to do it. They're looking at career achievement to do it. They're looking at their work achievement to do it. They're looking at cultural achievements to do it. They're looking at political achievements to do it. All symbolized in the powerful city and the ziggurat trying to reach the sky. But the other great theologian of the day, Madonna, she says, building on identity through irreligious achievement. Listen how she describes it. I have an iron will. Right when she said, I read that quote and I go, ooh, this is going to be very uncomfortable for me. I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself finally as a special human being. Then I get to another stage and I think, oh crap, I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again I run through this cycle. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that's always pushing me, pushing me, pushing me, because even though I become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. That, that couldn't be better stated. Madonna understands herself. She must have read Genesis 11. She gets the human condition. That's our condition. So building an identity, though, trying to make a name for ourselves, never brings us the significance and security that we long for. Have you noticed that? It's always like the harder we try, the further away from us it gets. And then the trying so hard actually becomes a greater pain than the pain of not getting what we thought we needed for security and significance. Have you noticed that? It's like it's this I don't know, it's this deceptive thing that goes on in the human heart. You're after for something to give you significance and security, but your effort at trying to get there makes the pain even worse, and that becomes a bigger deal than your actual pursuit of significance and security and whatever you're looking for. It's a strange lot we are, aren't we? Look at verse 8, and they left off the city too. Do you know what the text is trying to say to us at that point? They're trying to build this city, build this ziggurat, but the end result is it's left undone. In other words, I think the text is trying to communicate to us that we are unable to build a solid self. You just can't build your identity. No self-effort can construct a solid self. Look at verse 9. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Do you know when we try to build an identity, religiously or irreligiously, we end up doing what we fear most. We disperse ourselves. We scatter ourselves. If Jesus was here, he'd say, you lose yourself. If you try to save yourself you lose your very self. Why? That's really stunning. Why? Because we can never build an identity that can reach heaven. We can't take God's place because only God can give an identity Only God 
can give a solid self. And all our efforts are so puny that Waukee says, to the founders, Babel meant the gates of the gods. The Akkadian language in the ancient Near East at that time, their language when they translated Babel, which became Babylon, meant gate of the gods, right? Because they're trying to become somebody. But listen to this. But the narrator parodies that significance by its Hebrew meaning, which means Babel, confusion, chaos. Its builders think their temple tower reaches into heaven, but it's so low that the Lord has to descend from heaven just to see it. Remember, the council. Uh, I think we got to go down there and take a look at this puny thing. Wait, give me a magnifying glass. Our efforts to try to build a self can't reach heaven. It's so small, so insignificant, so lack of security that God has to get down and go way, 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 way down to see it. Only God can give us an identity. Do you know that the whole Bible changes after the Tower of Babel? Everything changes. The Bible completely changes. Chapters 1 through 11 are actually only the introduction to the Bible. And then in chapter 12, there's this cosmic shift. There's this cosmic change, and the whole Bible changes, and the whole history changes because it ends up focusing on one man named Abraham. And you know what this man Abraham is from? His descendants come from the Tower of Babel. His ancestors, his immediate father, Kidner says, worship the moon gods. So in other words, this driving need, this gaping hole to find a solid self is in Abraham, just like it's in every human being. And he's desperately trying to find it. But look what happens to him. It's phenomenal. It happens in verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, we haven't heard the Lord speak in a long time. We've heard him talk to himself, but we haven't heard him speak. And here's what's happening. You have this scattered person, this dispersed, displaced person, this nobody can't find himself craving for security and, and significance. And God speaks. And the word comes from the outside and the word tears into the inside. It breaks into his heart. And this is what God says. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And here it comes. And I will make your name great. I will give you, Abraham, what you most deeply long for, what you were made for. I will give you a solid self. I will make you great. Don't miss this. That God gives greatness where there is none. It's like he's back at the beginning creating again out of nothing. He walks up to a scattered person and says, I will make you great. He gives a solid self amidst a scattered self. Now watch what this does to Abraham. It's pretty powerful. I will make your name great. The next verse says, so that you will be a blessing. 
Wait, how will he be a blessing? Well, kind of, I think it's going like this. It's a backhanded way of going back to the tower and the city. Cities, towers, technology, culture, careers, Texas high school football, uh, the arts, education, motherhood, fatherhood, uh, engineering. These things are not wrong. But these things cannot give us an identity. They do not have the power to reach our identity to the heavens. They can't do it. So what happens if God gives us an identity, a solid self? You know what happens? Cities are just cities to us now. We live in them for their own sake and for the sake of others and not for our sake anymore. Technology is just technology now. Towers are just towers now. We build them, not for our sake, to try to find some sense of security and significance, but now we build them because they're good to build. Preaching is good. Trees are good. Engineering is good, and it's good for its own sake. Motherhood is good for its own sake. Loving a child is good for its own sake. Changing a diaper, maybe not. Something else, it's good for its own sake. Right? It's good. And it becomes good for its own sake when it's not being used for our sake. And it becomes good for the sake of others when it's not being used for our sake. And now we are in the position, as Abraham is, to bless the nations, to love people and places to life again. But do you notice that we're not told how God did make his name great? It's almost like you're like, okay, you made his name great. You created greatness out of a loser. You created a solid self amidst a scattered self. You just did it ex nihilo, by grace, right? By the power of his word. But how could he do that? What's the basis of that grace? How can mercy do that? And what happens here is that that's what we should be asking in the story. And it's forcing you to keep reading and reading and reading. And you know what? It's never ultimately resolved until God scatters again. But this time he doesn't scatter Babel. He scatters himself. He disperses himself. He makes himself nothing. A nobody. A no one. Someone without a name. And in fact, Paul says he empties himself. And while he's emptying himself on the cross, while Jesus is being scattered on the cross, being dispersed on the cross, turning into ultimate chaos on the cross, he's making you and me great. I'm going to take, I'm going to take your chaos on me And here, here's my name. Wonderful counselor. 
mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the righteousness of God. So Babel, we're called to look at Babel because at Babel, the ultimate Babel, God scatters himself so that you can receive a solid self. Amen.